Talking Kong, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. The Department of Truth, James Tynan IV, and Odysseus Bikikar. Hello there, everybody. Uh, it wasn't just me. Did the video didn't just blur there for a second, did it? Because if it did, that means we're being monitored. We're being watched from all corners, and the powers that be are keeping a close eye on us, um, which definitely feeds into the conversation we're going to have. Welcome along to Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My name's Leonard Sultana, and each and every Sunday, usually, we are talking convention news, updates, all the stuff and nonsense that we get to enjoy at such events when they're actually running. And when we have these incidental episodes, which are happening outside of our Sunday schedule, it's usually as a special episode uh, to focus on either a specific creator, or in this regard, a special book, which is due for launch on Wednesday, The Department of Truth, coming from Image Comics. Issue one drops on Wednesday, and we are very lucky to have uh, two of the creative team with us uh, today. Uh, we've got uh, James Tyne in the fourth. Hello there, James. Welcome along. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm it's happy a pleasure. Uh, no, thank you very much indeed for coming back. And we've got uh, letterer Aditya Bidika. And I knew that I was massacring hey. the first name again. I knew I was going to do it. <laughs> no, that's fine. Excellent stuff. And the best thing about this bit right now, this moment, these two haven't met before. These two haven't actually had spoken, so I'm going to let you two, for a second, introduce each other to to each other. Go for it. <laughs> hey. Hey. Well, we've been working together for months now, so. Oh yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm I'm really excited that uh, that we actually that we're able to do this. This is great. Same here. Yeah. And you may notice there is a third person missing. Uh, I, somebody who I've been hyping and pimping that we're going to be uh, showing up on this particular live stream. Artist Martin Simmons. Uh, unfortunately, though, he's being incredibly selfish. Uh, he's decided that he's not going to come on the show today for his own selfish needs. In that his other half is currently um, in preparation for delivering... Uh, his child. Uh, I believe it's his second. He's got a two-year-old that's bouncing around at the moment, waiting on the uh, imminent arrival. Uh, but no, uh, congratulations uh, from all all of us to Martin. Um, all the very best to Nat. Uh, I know that um, things are progressing. We're not there yet, but um, waiting on the imminent arrival of uh, Martin's... Yeah, we'll go with his premiere release of the week. Shall we go with that? <laughs> We won't go for we won't, we won't go for his second best release of the week. We'll go for his <laughs> premier release of the week. I did try um, to ask him to like try and time it properly, but apparently he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, from what we yeah, it, it speaks a, a lot about conspiracy and events conspiring. Um, we were under the impression that um, Nat was going to be um, uh, delivering next week, but it's all kind of come forward to today. So, Martin, sending you all our best and uh, all the best to Nat as well. Uh, so, to Nick, sorry. Um, excellent stuff indeed. Um, uh, congratulations to, to the pair of them. But um, let's talk about the uh, your two releases, uh, gentlemen. Um, we're talking about the Department of Truth. Um, this is a book which I've been lucky enough to read the first two issues about. 
um, the first two issues of. And what we're going to do with this conversation is the first half of it, we'll talk generals. We'll talk about the conception of it. We'll talk about the, the themes. And then I will actually put a delineation, a line in the sand, and we'll talk a little bit of spoilery stuff. Nothing stupid. We're not going to go mental, but we are going to kind of get into one or two of the details, uh, certainly one or two of the characters uh, that uh, are going to be, uh, uh, which come up in the story. First things first, I think we'll uh, focus on James. If you can give us what your elevator pitch for the Department of Truth is, please, because I'm certain that for a lot of people who read it, it's almost like a mirror. There's going to be so many different ways that people will perceive it, because when we talked on our own conversation um you brought up the idea of government oversight of conspiracy theory i didn't even yeah. think of that i just thought of <laughs> an, an organization that you know like a kind of like a, just a, an organization that does it but it is pure government oversight and i think that's interesting department of truth tell us the story sir well uh i mean i it's it's always funny because the the sort of the perfect elevator pitch is always something that I cook up over like a few <laughs> like months and years. So it's like in the lead up to the book is always when I ha I don't have the perfect sentence. Like I have the perfect sentence for all like the woods and mimetic and all of that. But I mean the the way that I've seen a bunch of people describe it uh, so far is that I, it, is that it's essentially the X Files but with. Uh, conspiracy theory lore uh, rather than just aliens up front and center. And uh, I think that, that that kind of captures the the sort of the spirit of it. And, you know, it, it's meant to be a very modern book. It's a book that we're, we're trying to tap into the, the sort of conspiracy theories that are actually affecting people's lives today. It's not just a pure you know, historical look back at, you know, Knights Templar and all of that. It's, a, it's, it's meant to be a bit more of the moment, which is why we're dealing with uh, theories like, you know, uh, flat Earth uh, theories about uh, satanic panics, which obviously are coming back in a big way, uh, and then you know, crisis actors and things like that. And you know, we're the the stuff we're tapping into in the fourth issue is the like that's honestly the the first issue, like. I, I think I should have been nervous about the third issue, but the fourth issue is actually the one that's making me a little nervous right now. But <laughs> I am, but honestly, I'm like the part of what we wanted to do here is create a kind of fictional framework that allows us to talk about all of these different theories in a very direct way. Um, you know, it, but, it, but also in a safe way, because this is not a book that's ever purporting that these conspiracy theories are real, that the, you know, that, we are like the book is not trying to purport this is the real secret history of the world and we we try to lay that in right from the start because this is a world in which uh it, a world ruled by consensus reality the more people believe in something the more true that thing becomes and so this is a story of the of a department within the united states government that is trying to prevent dangerous beliefs from taking hold and changing the actual fabric of society. Uh, and whether or not they are the right people to do that, that's part of the, the journey that the book will, will take us on. Fair enough. How long has this been kind of noodling around in your brain? Uh, what's the kind of uh, lead up? How long have you been putting this book together? Well, in a real way, it's been since the, the last presidential election here in the US. Uh, it was right, like, I think I had the reaction to, uh, 
Trump's uh, election that a lot of people did, which was, oh, like, I'm not living in the country I thought it was. And like, it, it took me wildly off guard. And the, the thing that I started doing is for almost two years, I like stopped reading fiction. And I almost I was reading like nonstop nonfiction. I was just tr- sort of bringing in like all of these different threads. And there were a bunch of books that really stuck with me. Um, but the the three books that probably, you know, hit me uh, the hardest were um, The Dark Money uh, by Jane Mayer, which is about how the Koch brothers basically create, like, the, it's the, the, the real-life conspiracy of the Koch brothers that and how they sort of reshaped a whole corner of American politics. Like, and then uh, the... Uh, Fantasyland, I'm forgetting the author uh, right off the top of my head, but it was a book that was basically about how American history is a series of, you know, like it, it started with a bunch of like the religious extremists leaving the UK and coming to America because yeah. their their views were too radical for where they were. And it's like, and American history is full of like radical beliefs and all of these things that are, you know, often fabulous. And it's also where, you know, the like the tradition of the great American hucksters and like, you know, snake oil salesmen and all of that, like our our history is full, full of that. And then the final one was uh, The Devil's Bargain, which is a history of Steve Bannon um, and how he like some of his ideology kind of came together. And those pieces like. They all hit me in different ways because they all dif- showed like different elements of real world conspiracy uh, with real world agenda. But then also how th- those intersected with the actual history of conspiracy theories, which I've always been fascinated with. Like I'm, I, I watch, you know, Oliver Stone's JFK too often, frankly. Uh, and, you know, and I wanted to do a book that was like, what if we did the the sequence from JFK with Mr. X, but that's the whole book forever. Um, and that, that, that's sort of where it started coming together. And then the, it all finally clicked when I saw, when I figured out the thing that is the twist ending to issue number one. And I was like, okay, I've got a book. Uh, and that, that was about 2018. The summer 2018 was when I put together the first document for it. And then I reached out to Martin uh like right before new york comic-con of that year it would have been about about this time two years ago uh and aditya when when did when did i reach out to you was it would that have been that like was it that far in advance or was it no because it was was well before we started though yeah but i think it was last year probably um maybe like september or october like a year ago more or less no, that that makes sense, and that yeah. that would have been right when we were. That made that makes perfect sense because that's when uh, the book was finally. You know, I finally had a chance to sit down with Eric Stevenson at Eve Image and be like, "Hey, you know, I've got this book. I have Martin. I have the the you know the heart of the thing in place, and now we're ready to go." Uh, yeah. And then I got the the stamp of approval, and we were off to the races. Yeah. I, I just very quickly when you talk about the the turn the twist 
of issue one. Do you mean the last page, or yes. do you mean the, or do you mean the actual, uh, the reveal of what the conceit of the book is? Because there's so many turns when it comes to the back end of that book. Um, I think that's interesting. I also find it interesting that you say about the, uh, the, the the kernel of the idea kind of came together around the that four years ago, uh, the the the, uh, for the the election, um, because. We, I mean, we talked about this when we had our own one-to-one -one, uh, uh, interview a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, when we talked about um, Pizzagate, uh, which for me is still one of the most bizarre elements of modern history. And it is modern history, because we, we were talking about that, how that is almost being willed into reality by a very large and increasingly vocal uh, amount of people. And I think that's what intrigues me about the department of truth how it folds into that and how we are seeing i mean you're talking you, when you're talking about uh, modern conspiracy theories you're still talking about um conspiracy theories from 70s and 80s um yeah. but we it really can deal into some really really contemporary ones and i think that's what's uh, fascinating about the book um when it comes to the actual style and the tone then what were the touchstones in terms of tone you say x files uh, was were there any others that you kind of looked to X Files, JFK, anywhere else that you went to? Yeah, um, I mean, I would say that this is like it, one of the big the big touchstones for me were the the classic uh, Vertigo titles. Like this is me, this is me trying to put on my like you know nineteen nineties Vertigo hat a little bit here. Um, and I like I was an intern at Vertigo about in, in twenty ten. And, you know, Vertigo is very much where a lot of my love of more sophisticated comics came from, and specifically the Sandman books and all of that. And there's a, there's a sort of storytelling in those books that I've been missing, frankly, from, from the stands, which is in a long-form series, rather than it being, like, purely plot-driven and purely, like, you know, it's one big story and you're just getting chapter and chapter in that story it's more those books were much more about creating a world and then telling stories within the world and then so so what i wanted to do was to create a book that allowed me to like hear the groundworks for it and then i want to tell a bunch of different vignettes inside that world that define the world and then also allows me but you know like it, it's one of those things i the thing like it's down to the fact that uh, like I have a kernel in the back of my head for a Bigfoot issue. It's not cooked yet. And I don't know when that issue is going to happen, but I know that there is something interesting to say about the whole history of like, you know, like of Bigfoot as a, as a concept and people believing it and all of that and cryptids and cryptozoology in general. Like that's something that I I'm interested to do in the context of this. So it's, it's, it, it allows the book to become a kind of vehicle for all of my weird, uh, you know, all my, like, every weird interest I have that's even tangentially related to conspiracy theories, uh, which I think I kind of, like, took a left turn off of your answer and went down a different alley. No, no, no. Alley. You, you, no, you were still there. You were still there. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Um, I, I and about the button. Uh, that, that also allows the book to become a different book for, like, an issue or two in the yeah. way that those Vertigo books used to. I think that's quite interesting because you can suddenly change the style, you can suddenly change the entire approach to the book, but it's the same book. 
Well, I mean, I think that's also feeding into um, the conceit of the book as well about the fact that um, reality and therefore the the tone of the story that you're telling is so fluid and it's so malleable and everything can just kind of turn on a dime um, uh, j purely because of the the way that the, the story is being set up. While you've got this kind of idea and the framework and style in, in, in place, you can suddenly have a... A, a theory come to, to fore, you can have a group of people taking their belief system going forward. Next thing you know, you can just go off into a whole other tangent, even in style and in tone in the book. And I think that's an interesting uh, conceit that could uh, can be explored down the line. Uh, into the Blue, Mr's uh, watching and is, he's saying, it's been a long time since I read it, but James would probably enjoy Brought to Light by Alan Moore. And uh, James I, is- I certainly do, and it is on my shelf, and I definitely have reread it a number of times. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, and one thing is especially like, cause that book definitely, it goes, you know, head on to basically create a kind of fictionalized, but not too fictionalized history of the CIA, which is deeply fascinating. I wish they would recollect that uh, mm -hmm. in a big way to, to really show off the, the Bill Sinkavich art because it is a very beautiful and strange book. Well, I mean, let's talk about the art then, um, because, I mean, you've, you've mentioned Martin Simmons. Um, I, I think we can bring up uh, some pages because quite frankly, when people are talking about um, what uh, Martin's doing and then being mentioned in the same uh, sentence and breath as uh, Bill Sienkiewicz and uh, Dave McKean, um, this is career best. It's absolutely stunning stuff. Um, I mean, I'm going to show a couple of pages, but uh, just to kind of... Uh, I'll put this full screen so you can, people can see this because people really need to drink this stuff in. Um, what were the conversations between yourself and Martin uh, when it came to what the book was going to look like and what you were kind of aiming for? I mean, was was this what you were expecting? <laughs> or, I mean, what were I mean, you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's wild, wildly exceeded every expectation that I had for it. Like just straight up. This is this is honestly like every even the layouts of, uh, you know, starting from the very beginning, just his sense of how he builds every single page. It's it's incredible to see how his mind works. And it's something that I want to, you know, I, as the issues have gone on, I've been giving more and more leeway to to let him dictate the actual the, the storytelling and all of that just because he's coming up with incredible incredible storytelling decisions uh issue four in particular he's just he, he's created a way of telling it that wasn't part of my you know i i had like a slight cousin of the idea in the first few pages but he he, he lays it all out in a really fascinating way uh but people won't see that for a few months uh, yeah. but but honestly the the conversations all started because we wanted uh you know, with like I knew that I wanted a kind of scritchy style to the book. I knew that I like that that was the feel that that I knew the book kind of needed. And you know, I, I remember I was having a conversation with uh, Matt Rosenberg uh, a number of years ago, and I've told this story before. I may have even told it when last time I was on here, but I was just you know, he was asking me like who because I had this pitch, but I didn't have an artist. And it was just like, who is the dream person you would love to get 
on a book like this. And I was just like, I would love some weird hybrid of like Bill Sienkiewicz and Dave McKean from 1990. And like, that's, that's the mood that I wanted for the book. Uh, but someone who could sort of push and pull in a few different directions. And uh, he, he's the one who pointed me in the direction of Martin's work. And I, I had known Martin's work, but uh, a lot of Martin's work at that point, he was on a book called Friendo at the time, uh, which, which I really loved. And I think he did an incredible job, but he was pushing more and more in a digital direction. Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, like a, a little bit moving a little bit in a kind of Phil Noto space. Uh, and, and it, and it looked great and all of it, but there were these, uh, a series of Instagram posts he did, uh, for, uh, Inktober a few years prior that were a bunch of different musicians and they were all done in this very scritchy inky style. And that, and I saw those and it was like, that's the style. That's what I want this book to look and feel like. And I reached out to him and I was like very blunt where it's like, I love these, like, I love your work in general, but I especially love these. And I have this idea for this book. I would love to talk to you about doing this book with me. But, uh, you know, like, this is kind of how I see it. But I don't want to pull your art in a direction that's, like, totally antithetical to how you see the evolution of your art style. If you're moving in, like, if this is, like, a regression for you, that's not what I want. And that like you know and thankfully he was just like no i've been wanting to go more in that direction and we started talking about collage and all of these different techniques that you know how can we bring in like photo elements and things like that where you know and really push push and pull the medium in a few different directions and that that's when i really got excited and i and i started seeing the potential and of course that and then it was another like year and a half uh, before, you know, we actually got started on the thing, but it was, uh, you know, honestly, that just let it all bake in the back of my head, even, even further. I can imagine for Martin as well. I mean, the pair of you have been particularly busy over the last couple of years, uh, just finding the time for you to all come together. Uh, I mean, even to, uh, to bring, uh, Aditya into the, 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 the conversation, because you've been, I mean, we were talking about this before we came on air. Um, every single time I see a stellar book that's coming out over the course of this summer and even over the course of this week, I mean, there's your name is is, is rocking up in, in the credits. I mean, you've been particularly busy as well in uh, in what you've been doing. But, I, I mean, just to bring the, the pages up again, I mean, we were talking about um, Dave McKean as um, as the, uh, the uh, certainly the art influence. I'm seeing also in terms of what you're doing for the lettering as um, Arkham Asylum, um, that real stylized um, uh, font style, um, the way that the, the, the balloons are uh, created and the, the way that the, the, the flow is done with the text, it's, um, it's incredible work. I mean, what's, what was your um, con conversations with uh, James in how you wanted to put that design into, into place? Um. I think I think this was basically the style that I had in mind the moment I saw what Martin do, was doing. Um, I, I kind of I think I believe I offered them two styles. One was uh, because I've worked with Martin before and on Punk's Not Dead for Black Crown, so I did that uh, for one option, and I did this as the other option. And I and I don't remember for sure, but I think I might have hinted that you know what this is the style that I would love to go for, because um, firstly. Uh, uh, this is basically a, a, a cousin of the style that I used for 
uh, a book called Blood Moon with uh, John Pearson, who and like he and Martin are friends, and their styles are also sort of cousins of each other. So I kind of thought that this would be interesting. Also, I wanted to reflect this idea in the book that these realities are kind of being rewritten, like they're being laid over each other, which is why I chose a style that basically is me lettering twice because I have to like I have to do those things twice. Um, because I, I draw them like entirely separately. Um, so this was basically I you know it's a it's a conversation that I have with a few of my creators that sometimes you know something will be a lot of work, but you have to do it because it's what's going to look good. Yeah. And although otherwise you're kind of cheating the work and yourself. Yeah. So so that um I don't know what you guys thought about this style though. Like it, it is incredibly weird and all I got from you guys was uh sure we love it. <laughs> no, I mean honestly, that it was like I had there there was only really one conversation about it like between like as Mar Martin loved it immediately. I the only worry that I I had right off the bat is like okay, Martin's Martin's art is already a little left of center. Like yeah. and is this is the lettering style something that's actually going to like, you know, distract readability rather than enhance it. But the one thing that the the thing that I love about it is actually because of you the the weight you gave the letters in all of it. It it actually reads incredibly clearly. Even though the even though the balloons are like are more aggressive and, and outside the box, like the, the the readability of the issue is actually it's very clear. There's there's never a moment that that feels overwhelming and all of that, and I'm I'm a wordy motherfucker, so that's like I I really re like really once we saw it, it was just like yes, this is absolutely the way. And I think the only the only stuff that we sort of played around with a little bit, and even then, you came up with the solution. Like you, the first draft of this uh, for the the fictional woman, the woman in red. Right. I think you had a different take on her, uh, but then like I think even without us fully responding. Like you came back and was like, or I could do it this way, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I remember. I, I remember. I sent you like a little JPEG of, you know what? I just thought of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think I think you're also. I I was trying to go for something. Um, uh, it's it's again like I wanted to play with the layering of reality. Yeah. So it's almost like she's speaking in text. It's not yeah. like she's speaking in words. You know. So I, I I kind of wanted to go for that feel, and uh, I'm glad you noticed that the the letters are heavy because that's exactly what I wanted to do because um, I knew that the style would be a little alienating, so I wanted the words to be kind of heavy and solid. And okay, you know what? We've got you. Like it's fine. Yeah. Don't don't yeah. worry about it. Well, also with the, uh, the if I could bring the uh, the page back up, um, if I go for uh, where am I going? This one. Yes, this one. When we right. have um, the uh, the not the dialogue boxes, the the uh, the, the thought boxes, they're in a, a very uh, the the that um, typewriter style. But it, for me, it reads like, and this may sound like a very strange reach, but bear with me. Um, the prisoner, you know, with the opening titles, with the uh, the, the so like the the, the punch card, the punch cards, with the the brown uh, so like uh, program cards that are all being filed away and then it's this very kind of and the government uh, kind of uh, text over the top um and it kind of feeds into the fact that this is very much um a a, go a, a government um 
entity that's um, uh, that he's part of. Uh, Cole, which is our, uh, the, our principal character. Um, in that regard, then, uh, just to talk to James about that element of it, the uh, the reinforcing that it is a a government um, uh, entity that's uh, that the department the the, the department of truth is. Um, <laughs> if we can, yeah, just talk about that and about the the fact that it is a government oversight. Um, yeah, it, which is something that you brought up in our a conversation because it is something which can then be very oppressive. It's something that um, it's can be working against the greater good, but their whole drive is supposedly for the greater good, but then all sorts of other um, agencies can be involved. Um, if you can just uh, talk about that for a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it's, like the the government element and the and particularly the the aesthetics of of you know like of government conspiracies style fiction like that's something that i you know like i heavily saturated myself with like 1970s thrillers and all of that like there's a reason cole kind of looks like robert redford from uh 3 days of the condor like that is you know that that was one hundred percent like deliberate and trying to use the the visual language of you know the the classic men in black uh, sort of archetype and you know and how to sort of break away from that and lean into that and that was something that we were you know definitely trying to tap into and you know I remember we we did we did have a couple of conversations about uh, the like the the internal narration. Uh, because you know, beyond it, beyond just the style of it, it was also something that you know it's it's written in this kind of it it flows out of dialogue into an internal dialogue and then back out into regular dialogue, and it don't doesn't always take you you don't always land where you entered that train of thought, um, and that kind of creates uh, an, an uneasiness in in the text that 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 is it's deliberate. And it's something that I like playing with and I want to play with further because, you know, this is this is a book very much about uh, Cole Turner and his journey and his experience of the truth. Uh, and here we're sort of, you know, like we're seeing a record like when when you see that sort of font, it's like it's a record of the past. And that record of the past is not necessarily a reliable record. And that, you know, the sort of. Uh, you know that that typewriter font and all of that. It it it, it does, you know, like it elicits those sort of like, you know, top secret documents blacked out. Like you know the. Uh, I, I was expecting to see a number of redacted uh, boxes <laughs> throughout throughout dialogue. Actually. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we're gonna get to that at some point. Like that is, you know. Like as as we move forward, I've I've been thinking about a, like because there's a number of things in this, and especially the first arc. The first arc is very much about the modern world and all of this, and then we can sort of crawl up our own asses and explore the actual like you know fictional history of this fictional world, like in the context of of, of conspiracy theories, and then once again we can tap back into the real a bit more. Uh, but getting to 
you know, I'm excited to get to some of the the fun, uh, the fun conspiracies because we're not starting with the fun ones. We're starting with the scary as hell ones. And yeah, then, I think. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like issue three was my favorite so far, and it's pretty much the darkest because it's psychologically yes. it's so heavy, and yeah. uh, you guys handle it fab- fabulously. I think. Really. Um, yeah. No, okay. Yeah, uh, excuse it. me. As somebody who's only read issue two, and I thought that was pretty, pretty uh, scary. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Good. No. The I mean, the third one's the gun issue, and that's the like, oh wow. You know, and that's something that, especially like, and and it was something that I knew we couldn't ignore. Like, right. this is something that is such a nexus point of so many conspiracy theories in the current moment and so much so much comes out of the like places like info wars and places like that and it was just like we i needed to i needed to address that straight on and especially addressing that before like this is still cole learning the ropes like he is yeah. still figuring out how the world works now that you know he's seen seen how the world really works and he's, you know, tapping into all of these different elements. And we, I knew, yeah, the train of thought just went that way. Oh, go on. Go, um, go. No, but I also feel that, like, whether the Department of Truth is a good thing or a bad thing kind of comes to the fore in that issue. Um, yeah. Because that, um, and what I loved about that was that you did it with so much empathy. Like, it's not, it's not a, like, it's, it's an issue where you could have easily gotten didactic but you did not like you kind of chose to uh, show empathy and chose to base it in character rather yeah. than on uh, you know i mean the concept can go many ways and yeah. uh, as if you if you kind of rem- uh, remember the humanity behind everything that's going on i think that makes the book stronger which is why i was really curious as to why you went the decision because i mean okay department the department of truth is an official branch of the US government, but it could also have been just taken as a name by, like you say, an InfoWars type of organization, a third party uh, public um, group, a, a bunch of conspiracy theory enthusiasts, as it were. Why did you decide to make it very much an official branch of the US government? Um, I mean, I honestly, it's because I wanted to tap into the specifically American history of shaping our own truth like and that is and it it, like there there are absolutely international legs to all of this and it's something that as the series goes on we're going to see what are the equivalents of the department of truth and other other locations around the world like who are who are the people who actually are aware of this and are fighting this constantly uh you know issue six is going to be uh is one that i'm really excited for because it's also Part of how we're handling the schedule of the of the series is that in between every core five issue Martin Simmons arc, we're going to bring in a series of guest artists to sort of, you know, show different facets of the world. And the first of those uh, we announced uh, last week is going to be by Elsa Charatier. Um, and I think I'm pronouncing that right. Charatier. Uh, Charatier. Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I spoke to her yesterday. Because um, oh, awesome. she 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 was my guest on my show yes, on the show yesterday, uh, which was the the happiest coincidence. Uh, yeah. Considering that I'd seen her doing on her social media feed the, the what I thought was a variant cover, and yeah. then she turned around and said, "No, I'm doing the guest 
for the the sixth issue. And oh yeah. I had the grin of a lifetime on my face. You would not believe, because I am a massive Elsa fan. I cannot wait to see this. Um, but yeah, oh, well, no, sorry, I, I've kind of interrupted. Go, please talk, talk about how that six issue is going to work. Well, and, but like that six issue, and for one, part of the reason, like we've we've lined up a few different creators, but I wanted to start with Elsa because it's the most radical art shift that I can kind of imagine from Martin to Elsa's work. And the story that we're going to be telling is going to go way far back. Like the, everything that we've been dealing with in the first arc of uh, that we deal with in the first arc of Department of Truth is uh, like kind of grounded American history and specifically the American history of the last 60 years, sort of, you know, JFK assassination to today. Uh, a little bit, you know, some tendrils going back to World War II, but mostly like the last 60 years. Uh, the issue that I'm doing with Elsa takes place in, you know, the medieval era. And that is going to tap into one of my favorite conspiracy theories, uh, which is the phantom time hypothesis, which is the idea that Charlemagne is an entirely fictional concept and created by the Catholic Church to basically put uh, the history, the, the fall of Rome further into the past. And that technically the real world right now, the, the, like, the actual date would be like 1750, uh, not like, you know, uh, 2020. So that, that's one of, it's one of my favorite like weird conspiracy theories, but it's also something that taps very much into like the core ideas of the series, which is how do, how do powerful organizations weaponize history and all of that to shape their own realities and obviously the like the catholic church was a huge like instigator of that for centuries and so the catholic church is another one of those agencies that we're going to be tapping into down to the fact that like the you know the inquisition like the the branch the inquisition branch of the of the catholic church and i'm forgetting the actual organization uh, name off, off the top of my head, uh, but that that Inquisitor branch is something that you know we're going to be tapping into and exploring through the context of this series. You know, we're not going full like Knights Templar and all that, but we will touch on it on all of that. But that's you know that's part of what I am very excited about with this series. We're going to be able to to explore conspiracy from both angles and also just explore the nature of history, who writes the histories, and why they write the histories. And that goes back to what you were originally asking, which is, you know, why why build it? Why why approach this from a kind of government angle? And it is, like, the, the whole point here is to make sure that what's always centered is who benefits and who's hurt. And, like, it, that keeps each of these stories human stories, because there's a way to do... Uh, a version of the Department of Truth where I am saying, like, this is the real secret history of the world that's been kept under, you know, wraps and all of this, you know, but now we, like, and this is, now we're, like, here's the book through which you're going to to learn that secret history. And I wanted to say from the beginning that it's like, histories are a weapon, and the real story is who is using that weapon, why are they using that weapon, and who are they using it against? 
And that's why, like, even in issue three, like, dealing with someone whose life is being destroyed by the belief of crisis actors and all of that, and, you know, who's also, like, getting swept up in all of those beliefs, like, that, it is, it is very much her story because she is both, you know, she is, she's being crushed by these ideas, and she's being crushed in the middle of a battle that's being waged, you know, on this huge scale for you know, mysterious gains. And that's, that's the, those are the struggles that I'm interested in because I think those, though that history is real, that history is like the, the history of people using ideas and truth as, as a weapon is, is that's the real history of conspiracies in, in the world. No, I, I think, Sorry, and, um, and also and it's history now as well, yeah. which uh, I think, I mean, uh, for myself, I mean, personally, when you were talking about, um, uh, the, the the Knights Templar and the, that kind of history. So long as you tear Dan Brown a new arsehole uh, when it comes to uh, the Da Vinci Code, so long as that gets completely cut apart, I, 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 I have no problem with that. The other thing, I mean, to, to also then talk about the government oversight, I'm also really curious about the whole idea then of the person in power or the person in the hot seat, the person in the White House, who suddenly discovers that he has this department to hand. And then effectively, I mean, I, I, I've just got this nightmare scenario of if the Department of Truth was real right now. Do, uh, Donald Trump discovers that he has that to hand and rewrites history and rewrites American history. I'm guessing that's something that's going to be discussed further down the line of not just the department, but the influence from above. Well, I mean, the I would say that one of the big goals of the book is being able to talk about contemporary history without hinging like so directly on like you know like the fact that the election is in two months and i'm writing sure. past that like i'm, I'm not it, it was one of those it's a very deliberate decision that i di- i didn't want to lean hard into uh you know trump like as an entity and the current administration but it's like he is a facet of the this whole history and i mean and i think that those questions that you're asking are the ones that you know the because the it is an uncomfortable amount of power like the the power to sort of shape history is an uncomfortable amount of power wielded uh by anyone and especially when wielded by bad actors yeah. And I well, think it's, that, it's not yeah. it's not even Trump. I mean, it could be any of. I mean, yes. I can imagine if Obama had the uh, the power of influence of the Department of Truth, Reagan, uh, W, oh, yeah. any any of them, anyone who has who was sat in that who has been elected into that position, and it's it's like the old um, story of you. Uh, elected as pre- uh, president, you are sat down in the, the seat, at which point a group of eight people uh, file in and go, well, congratulations, you've now been elected president. Now it's time to tell you about Area 51. And yeah. that, that kind of, the, the, here's, the, here's the truth of what's actually going on. That, that, the, have that person then suddenly have control over this department. I think I, that it's, it's, it's a nightmare scenario. Absolutely. No, I, I think I, yeah. I think you can actually see that in effect to a degree because um, I've been seeing this very interesting thing where uh, through the Watchmen TV show and through Lovecraft Country, I am watching Americans come to discover what the Tulsa massacre was and what sundown towns are, and it's very interesting because it's it's something that I knew, 
but seeing that Americans didn't know it, this is your history yes. having been hidden from you, right? Yeah. And this is the reason that then certain thing, certain other things don't get taken seriously because you don't know this was part of your history. Um, and this is his, history being wielded by um, a certain group of people because uh, it was their agenda. And like you, you even talk about slavery and the way that um, you know the good slave owners, etc., are kind of emphasized. Um, this is somebody trying to hide their history. Yeah. And the fact is, like this history is coming to light, and the fact is nobody believes it because, um, like, not nobody believes it, but a lot of people don't believe it because it's not necessarily in their own interest. Um, yeah. And that's something that kind of plays the other way around, where this is like uh, so somebody creating a history because they can't explain the world based on what they know. So, you know, yeah. it kind of comes together. Right? Yeah. No, and and like, and even a step further than that, that's the, like, that. that is, like, and that's, I think, one of the goals of the, of the comic in, in its own weird way, is that I, I think that there is a lack of knowledge about the history of conspiracy theories that makes people more susceptible to conspiracy theories. Hmm. Like, <laughs> it, it, like, because you know, all when all you hear, like when all you really see are the the pieces that are kind of taken taken for granted. Like, it, uh, you lose the elements of like how you know a document like the um, Protocols of the Elders of Zion was like one of the most dangerous documents that shaped you know like almost a century. Uh, of of history and that and, it, and it's a fictional document that's like lifted from an old french text by like an angry russian person like it it was it, it like and it just you know it every like that had roots that ended up with uh you know the nazis and all that it is like you know the the history of conspiracy theories is important and it's but it's it's also very hard to to really grapple with because by covering these histories and especially ones where there still are elements of doubt and there you know there are always conflicting histories there are like you know because the real world is complicated and every everyone has their own and a history like everyone's story is subjective so there's always going to be contradictions and then being able to sort of pick and choose your own history through the contradictions uh you know it you you're always going to choose the one that feels best to you uh and especially if you are not aware of how you know similar similar ideas have hurt people in the past which is how we get you know QAnon which is just a like a hyper focused escalation of the 1980s satanic panic like it and it's just it's the exact same theory even though like the 1980s into the 90s proved that there was no basis there was no basis in the satanic panic it was entirely fictionalized and that is that's something that's like that that was one of the core things that led me to write this book is just the deep fascination in the fact that the average American believed for a decade that there were scores of hidden Satanists like sacrificing children in the country. And it's just like, that was, that was just believed and accepted. 
And there were echoes of that belief in, in the culture that we kind of laugh about now, where it's just like, you know, parents talking about how, like, there are secret satanic messages and music and stuff like that. But that was all facets of people believing that there was an actual satanic conspiracy in the country. And then everyone gets kind of like embarrassed and backs away from ever having believed it. And that just, and it falls away from history, but there's a utility in those kinds of things because you see like in like the 1980s, I think are one of the most fascinating decades of history. Like, and one of the, one of the core reasons, and especially American history. And one of the big reasons is there's such a dramatic shift in how America viewed itself from the seventies to the eighties and the, like, because the eighties and Reaganism and all of that, and there was this kind of like, uh, you know, gung ho Americana, like, you know, American business, American, like this is where all of, all of the, the peak cold war sort of films were sort of being done where it's not like earlier cold war films were much more like, Oh, it's messy on both sides. But in the eighties, it was just like, Americans are the great heroes and like the Soviets are the evil menace. And it was just like, it was so narrativized, like to make America the stalwart good nation that saw itself as stalwart and good that then required basically taking everything that was like a dissident to that concept and like, and literally villainizing. And it's just like, they're all literally Satan worshipers that are going to kill and eat your children. Like, and that, like, it, it's, it, it just fascinates me. Yeah. Like, what that says about, uh, you know, the weird transactions that societies sort of make with the truth uh, to kind of get their, you know, to believe the world that as they want to believe it. Which is why I'm really curious to see how the book is going to cover my own personal favorite element of conspiracy theories, which is the disguising of the truth through conspiracy theory the old idea of um there were actually aliens that crash landed at roswell but the conspiracy theory was created to deflect um to hide and to create a smoke screen uh for what actually happened and i'm i'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to play in this reality that you created for this comic book which is where a reality becomes um, uh, fact when enough people believe it, but yeah. surely then if the Area 51 idea, um, if the government puts out this idea to kind of create a smokescreen, then surely it becomes real and then the whole thing kind of eats its own tail, as it were. Yeah. No, and that, like, honestly, that's one of the core core elements of the book. No. Like, that, how people use that and the ways that different stories have shaped our history and the way and who has who wrote those stories who rewrote yeah like um, yeah oh, the, um, the, oh. go ahead go yeah. ahead you you're the guest go ahead <laughs> uh well all i was gonna say is the other element that was similar to the 80s but more effective was what came out of the world of world war ii the whole post-war uh idea of what america was was fundamentally a fiction and it was a fiction that was mostly you know written and developed in hollywood and it was sort of you know and it was laid out as this like this is who we are and this is 
you know, this is why, like, why we fight. Why we fight is one of the greatest pieces of propaganda that has ever existed, and it's incredibly effective propaganda. And I'm not even saying that a bunch like, that it's overwhelmingly false. Like, it's not like the most malicious piece of propaganda, but it did create this like you know singular idea that then had after effect uh, after effects. And you know when like I, I don't I think most Americans don't really grapple with like there are very real reasons why the post-war world was what it was and most of those reasons were the fact that like the entire manufacturing base of the entire world was destroyed and the only place left to build things was America which was just like created an overabundance of wealth that then you know defined decades of American history until it started to the system started to corrode in the 70s and like because nothing lasts forever and then all of a sudden you have to start basing things on new fictions and you get another shift that started in the 80s and it's sort of like that's the sort of that's the lens of history that really fascinates me and you know my goal the goal with a book like this is how do how do you kind of write that history through a fictional lens that still taps into something true sure um, I'm going to ask you a question and then we're going to dive into conspiracy, uh, uh into the, sorry, into uh, a little bit of uh, light spoiler history, uh, spoilers, <laughs> if uh, people don't mind. But, um, one element which, um, interests me or, um, I'm very glad to see is that Cole, um, who is our principal character in the book, uh, certainly in the two issues that I've read so far, obviously, uh, other characters are going to be folding in and taking a spotlight, but certainly for the first two issues. Um, is a married gay man. Um, and I found that um, very liberating and very uh, exciting to see uh, in the book. Um, why? What was the decision and the talking about uh, in, in making that happen? I mean, really, it's as simple as, like, I'm, I'm a queer guy and I wanted, like, I just wanted to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's... Fair enough. Uh, it, I mean, it's and it is something that, you know... I also like that. That's the kind of glib answer. But the but the you know the answer beyond that is I wanted to create a character who you know does have a you know I I think that creating a character similar to myself who had a similar upbringing to myself like aside from you know I don't have like histories tied to the Satanic Panic uh, but like you know, someone who is roughly my age, who can, who has experienced the world as I have, uh, you know, I think that that best reflects how the, that allows me to sort of tackle things through how would I react set, uh, you know, sequence to sequence in it. Uh, and, you know, and I, I think ultimately it's that simple. It's, I wanted to be able to voice, how I feel about the the history of America and my own, like the, the balance between what I believe in and love about America and what frightens me terribly about America and being able to do that with a character who does reflect the ways in which that like, and, I mean, being queer in America does put you a little bit on the outside and especially queer like, you know, down to the fact that you couldn't be in intelligence 
in America if you were openly queer for years and years and years because it made you uh, susceptible for, you know, uh, you know, you could be blackmailed by like a Soviet agent sort of thing. So it's something that actually putting a queer character up front and center in that space is something that is a dynamic that interests me. And I, there's actually another comic that I'm developing on the back burner that, that deals with that element much more directly, but it's something that does fascinate me. Uh, it's, it's also somebody who has a stake in how the system is structured. Yeah. You know, because it affects their life directly rather than just theoretically. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I also find it interesting as well when we hear about conspiracy theories about um, uh, the gay agenda uh, in the States that uh, there's a large proportion of people that feel that Hollywood is um, uh, advancing a gay agenda uh, in America and that's a conspiracy theory on its own. And also that also a person's sexuality can be um, treated as a conspiracy theory. I, I, well, there's, I think... a, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, turf thing going on in Britain, especially. Yeah. That, that yeah. tells a lot about Yeah. That. No, and there's, yes. I, I think that the, there are elements of that that I think go, in time will definitely tap into, and especially the conspiracies around the AIDS epidemic in the 80s is a particularly, you know, fraught bit of history that I, I am certain we're going to be tapping into as the book moves on. Fair enough. Right. Everyone who's watching this, um, if you have just tuned in, uh, we're talking about the uh, De Department of Truth, which is coming from Image Comics on Wednesday. Issue one is going to drop. I've read the first two issues. We are going to now go talk light spoilers, uh, which means if you don't want to get into, I mean, we've talked the broad themes of the book. We're going to talk a, a little bit more in depth now. If you don't want, if you want to go in completely clean, and I would highly recommend that you do. Uh, come back and see the rest of this. Uh, remember where we're at. We're at, uh, good grief, we're at an hour. Crap, how did, <laughs> how, how did, how did that happen? Shit. Um, okay, um, we're going to talk about um, the actual book a little bit more in depth. This is the kind of spoiler element of the uh, conversation. So if you want to turn off now, you're more than welcome. We, we'll, we won't hold it against you. Come back and join us uh, once you've bought the book on Wednesday. Um, James, can you explain um, the character that uh, bookends issue one and why you chose uh, that particular character? So the director of the Department of Truth is Lee Harvey Oswald. See, and... there you go. Th that, that way I don't get blamed. <laughs> you said it. So there you go. Okay, cool. Go for it. So why, yeah. why, Lee, why Lee Harvey Oswald? Well, I mean, I think that that, like, the most known conspiracy in the conspiracy theory in the world is the the assassination of JFK like that is the like it is the cornerstone of like contemporary conspiracy lore and there's so much material about it there's so met there are so many conflicting stories there's so you know so many different elements and Oswald's life has been covered in so many different ways. And this is something that, you know, I knew, I knew I wanted, like, I knew I didn't want, like the whole book could not hinge on, you know, the JFK assassination because it's such a storied thing, but there needed to be an element of that in it uh, to, to really ground it in what we're saying. And uh, like Lee is the perfect cipher 
uh, because, you know, we're talking about someone who, like, you know, did anti-communist demonstrations in the U.S., did, like, did pro-communist uh, demonstrations in the U.S., defected to the Soviet Union, uh, like, you know, married married someone who was, like, daughter of a intelligence officer in, in, in the Soviet Union, came back to the U.S., tried to assassinate another, uh, you know, another politician, and then ultimately assassinated the president. And there are all of the different elements of, like, is he a patsy and all of that. But there, there are also the, like, some of my favorite elements of the the whole conspiracy around the JFK assassination are the the, the conflicts in the where Lee Harvey Oswald was in the lead up to the crime. And the uh, there's sort of the it's called the many Oswalds theory. And is the fact that there are a bunch of people, some of which like are noted to be like they're marked down in documents like, oh, this is where he was. And then you see a picture and it's like, wait, that's not him. Uh, you know, there, there are elements there where it's like, it seemed like he was sort of everywhere. And that's, that was one of the, the ideas where it's just like creating the, which Oswald died, uh, was killed by Jack Ruby. And which is, which is all- why, because I, I actually know about that theory, which is why I was wondering, um, which Lee Harvey Oswald is running the Department of Truth? And are, I think, there, yeah. are there multiple Lee Harvey Oswalds? Well, I mean, I think that there, like, that is that's going to be one of the key questions, and it is one of the the larger one of the larger questions of the book is going to be sort of like how far can manifesting new realities go, and it's just like is this is the man running the department the an actual person who existed prior to that event, or is the man running the department someone who was created in the aftermath of the event? by all these conflicting different uh, versions. And it's like, there's the idea is like, is he real or is he not real? And does that change his agenda and what he's like, you know, why he's doing what he's doing? And, you know, I think that that, that it creates a compelling mystery right at the heart of who he is and what his agenda is. Because obviously, like, by just putting him there, you see someone where, like, we just know through history he has, he's, like he has conflicting agendas and you don't like the reader doesn't know which of those agendas are the real agenda. And I think it allows us to tap into a lot of things. And it also allows us to, you know, ultimately comment on the, you know, mother of all conspiracy theories, which obviously we were, you know, we will like, that is going to be a very crucial moment in the history of the series, not just America. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I think it's yeah. also interesting as well because um, he's a great choice of character to run the Department of Truth because, um, for want of a better phrase, he was very much a trigger man for an alternate um, America. Um, yeah. We could have had uh, that uh, the Camelot era. We could have had a whole different era of um, leadership under Kennedy, and that history was skewed by this one name this one this one individual whether he did it or not and what the the actual the truth of the matter is all of it still is very much shrouded in a this massive mystery and i think that's the reason why i think it's such a a great choice 
for um, for that. But it could have easily have been John Wilkes Booth, uh, a, 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 an, an immortal John Wilkes Booth that kind of like, or it could, it still could be John Wilkes Booth. It's just, uh, it just this this individual that just kind of like morphs as history moves on. I think that's an interesting <laughs> idea. Um, I'm also interested in the fact that you kind of fold two conspiracies into that first issue. Not only Flat Earth, but also the moon landing. Uh, yeah. I'm curious as to why you put both of those together uh, in the same issue instead of just, uh, say, focusing on, on just the one. Well, honestly, it's because the, the two are connected. And they are, like, the. it is, I find it deeply fascinating that Flat Earth is kind of swallowed like the moon moon truthers like up as a as a group like it's it's something that you know because that the original theory the idea that we fake the moon landing just to get you know get the upper hand against the soviets that's like a mundane theory versus like we fake the moon landing because the earth is flat and space isn't real like is uh is a different sort of thing and it's the idea that you know, like actually playing out the the belief of the the belief in what that represents. It also uh, gave us a very physical demonstration of the of the actual like tipping point idea, the idea that uh, of consensus reality. The so actually being able to show the literal end of the earth because enough people believe now believe in the end of the earth in this one spot like that that kind of gives us a sense of like okay there is something extraordinary happening here this isn't just a grounded conspiracy theory thriller this is also this is a like a high concept book this is not a like you know it's a genre book it's not it's not a real history it's not a real conspiracy it, it like we're going we're going at this through the realms of like you know science fiction and like you know fantastic elements so sure. and I, I wanted that to be clear from the beginning like because you know once again and I like I, I'm hammering this in in like every single interview like because it's I, I think it's profoundly important is the fact that it's like the the fact that this book is fiction is important <laughs> like that is <laughs> and core to what it is like and i wanted to make sure that this wasn't something that you know if i started purely in jfk stuff there there are there are enough elements of that that are so that are still rooted in enough real things that i think you know i i, I didn't want to give people the wrong way in i wanted to i wanted them to know what i was up to um yeah that that makes sense i i'm i'm also really curious to know what your page description was like uh when uh you had the uh <laughs> the end the 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 uh the end of the earth and what your I'm pretty reaction... sure it was just like a sentence it was probably well, yeah just like, and, and what your like, reaction was when you got that page small. i can look oh, that I'm, up i'm sorry i can look that up <laughs> <laughs> i'm i have a feeling it was like one sentence long and it's just like and then we see the plane small up against the two pages and we see the the ice wall at the end of the world yeah it's the, just or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what was your, what was your reaction when you actually saw that page it was i was in, like it was incredible like honestly that was and especially it's one of those things where so many of the effects kind of behind 
the ice, uh, you know, that, that was added in, in colors. So it was one of those things where like when, when I first saw it, it's like a very dynamic spread, but just seeing it in the black and white, it's just like a plane in front of a wall. But then once the, the colors and the layers of, of the image came in, it was just like, oh, wow, look, Martin is amazing and <laughs> like, yeah. holy well, crap, I need to make sure this book is really, really fucking good. Well, I mean, he hasn't replied in the chat, uh, Aditya, um, but I'm, we're going to say it anyway, because yeah, we, we can. Um, basically, we have had a group chat between myself and Aditya and uh, Martin, uh, basically to coordinate towards this. Uh, we said at the beginning that he wasn't able to join us because um, he uh, his partner was being uh, taken in uh, to prepare for an emergency C-section, um, and we wished him all the best. Uh, at which point we've had a message. Um, I see you're chatting right now. I have news. Baby boy arrived at 5.45pm. Mum and baby are doing well. Sorry I had to miss the chat. So I just oh. want to say congratulations. Uh, a round of applause to you. Brilliant stuff. That's amazing. Martin. Martin, congratulations to you, sir. Excellent uh, stuff. Brilliant. Uh, oh, I'm, that's I'm, so, I'm, that's I'm, such amazing news. I'm so I'm happy having, to hear that. Goosebumps. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, right. Uh, well, in that case, um, we'll, we'll kind of wrap things up with a couple of questions um, and uh, let you get off and enjoy the rest of your uh, day. Uh, but the question I do want to ask is, who the hell is this? <laughs> who, who the hell is this person? Uh, you, you actually gave her a name. Um, when we were talking earlier, uh, between the two of you, we were talking, what's the name that you've, you've given? The Fictional Woman. The Fictional Woman, okay. So this is this is a character that's, uh, you know, going to be sort of a key mystery throughout the book. And, you know, when I was first describing her to to Martin and our editor, uh, Steve Fox, the, it was like, she represents the, like, you know, when the world starts tipping in one direction or, or another and reality starts to shift, she is always there. And she's there watching and, no, like, it is uncertain what her agenda is and who she is and or why she is. And we're going to see as the series uh, develops that the Catholic Church in particular thinks that she's the devil, that she is the actual manifestation of the Prince well... of Lies and the idea of, you know, all of this. But it's just like, when the world changes and tips in any direction, she is always there watching uh, through her ex-stout eyes. And, well, that was, the, the question yeah. was, is she human? <laughs> uh, the, I would say definitely no. <laughs> and, there you go. Uh, you know, it, and it's one of those things where in the, in the book, like, you know, and I say this, I said this when I, I wrote the original pitch document, uh, you know, I'm at, there's no point at which I want to get too much into why is the world like a, like, you know, what are the actual mechanics of like, why the world tips in one way or the other? And why is consensus reality? I think that that, you know, that that ends up in some weird cosmic spaces that we don't need. But that I see her very much as like the, you know, the observer character in Fringe, like that, that sort of, you know, the, exactly the original the, idea is exactly like, the vibe I got. <laughs> like it's, it was the idea of like being able to look at a picture of like Dealey Plaza on the day of the assassination of JFK and like seeing her in the back of the crowd. That's the vibe that I wanted to 
I wanted to tap into. Fantastic. I mean, I can't wait to find out more about her because she's just the most intriguing looking design of a character I've seen in a long, long time. Um, and can we also talk about the variant covers as well? Because there are a, a whole <laughs> host of them coming out uh, over the course of uh, Wednesday and indeed through the releases uh, over the course of the, the, the run of the book. Uh, I mean, the, 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 it, can we talk about the variant covers? Uh, I mean, <laughs> the ones that you've seen, the, uh, any particular favourites? I don't think, they, I don't know if there are any of them that I've chosen here, but any favourites that you've uh, spotted? I mean, honestly, the that Werther Deladera cover is probably my favorite, and I also love that we then did uh, next month. Uh, we're going to do a, a, like the inverted version of it at, for something is killing the children over at Boom, nice. uh, where Martin actually went and did that cover. So, like, I I love being able to uh, like that. That just makes me happy that those exist. Uh, but but honestly, <laughs> like. Yeah, no, our no, no, designer no. Dylan Todd called this the something the true something is true thing the department cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, man. no. Um, I'm a big I'm, fan of Christian. Oh um, yeah, and this is a stunning piece of work. Um, yes, yeah, that's no, pretty impressive. And that cover and the oh, Andrea Sorrentino cover that that one is just like. That one knocked me out, especially like the fact that he made her this scary without yeah. using the excise is just like, <laughs> oh, you're amazing. I love you. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to make any last comments then about Department of Truth in terms of for anyone who's watching that... Uh, what to expect going forward. Um, is this going to be a horror? Is this going to be a thriller? Or is this going to be all of the above? All of the above. All like, of the above. This is something that... And the other thing is, and, you know, I would say the top level thing I have to say is I am completely... And I know Martin feels the same way, but, like, I'm completely blown away by the support this book has gotten already from from readers, from retailers... Uh, from our peers in the creative community, it is really, real. like, it has blown me away. And it has also meant that, like, this is this is something where, you know, when, when I started laying out the pieces of this, I, I laid out a version of the series that would be effectively, like, 15 issues long. Uh, and that was sort of the shortest in-and-out way that we could do the series and get to all of the ideas that I wanted to. And now we've sort of, like, thrown out the end date like this is a book that we want like th this is a book where we want it to keep going for a good long time we want it to cover all sorts of different conspiracy theories uh and we can't do it without uh, a supportive reader base and the fact that like you know we broke a hundred thousand sales on the first issue is like i'm i'm still in shock and uh, I still, Frank, like, I don't believe it's happening and people like, you know, retailers are like sending me messages. And I'm like, ah, but this is like, you know, this gives us the, the ability to tell the fullest version of the story in the best possible way. And that, that's what I'm most grateful for, uh, is having the opportunity to do this right, to do this in the long form way 
And I hope that people keep reading and uh, keep enjoying this because this is one of my, one of the favorite things that I've written. And, you know, like I I remember, I remember back uh, when I was in high school and I was like, and I knew I wanted to write comics and I was, I idolized uh, Brian K. Vaughn's slate of books that he was doing. This would have been around uh, 2006. And I would like, on, to my friends on message boards, I was like, this is like the platonic ideal of a slate uh, of books right now, where he had, uh, it was Why the Last Man, uh, Ex Machina, Runaways, and at that point it was also Ultimate X-Men. And it was just like, so you've got your big bombastic superhero joint, you've got your like more personal take on a superhero world, and then you have two different deeply personal uh you know takes on the world and that like you know and i feel now like with department of truth and something is killing the children and batman like this is this is my dream slate and i don't forget wind and wind and wind like i yeah also (laughs) with the like this is like and wind is like you know Wind is like such a different animal than everything else that it's like I almost consider oh, writing dude, that like uh, another to have wind like... and Department of Truth side by side <laughs> blows my mind. But I mean, it's it, they all like tap into each other from different angles, and they like the they're all weirdly in conversation with each other and kind of talking about like different things that that matter to me, and I'm I'm just amazed that i am allowed to do this and that i'm like i seem to be getting away with it so thank you <laughs> listen the more the longer you keep doing it the longer we'll keep reading we'll be, we're more than happy than that um i think i'm going to wrap up on a question aditya um your favorite conspiracy theory and is it going to appear in the book your own your own favorite conspiracy theory and if is it going to appear in the book I'm actually not that much of a conspiracy now. <laughs> oh, the irony! Uh, but I would, I would love to see if, like, so. So, I'm a Doctor Who fan, and there's this, uh, there's this little offshoot of Doctor Who called Faction Paradox, uh, for which I've written stories, and they basically talk about the eleven days that were missing during the change between the calendar. From the I think the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, or, or the other way around. Actually, we don't know which one we are on. James but is they have this, this whole down. thing that <laughs> so they have this whole thing that those days were sold to a cult for their own use, like a time traveling cult, um, which is faction <laughs> paradox. So I would say that's my favorite conspiracy theory. Fair enough. I am uh, absolutely writing that down. Now. Absolutely. Uh, for myself, um, I'm a, a fan of the idea of Hollywood feeding. Um, conceptions of uh, mass um, belief and yeah the matrix the fact that the the film the matrix came out and now we have a huge large amount of proportion of people that believe that we are in a construct we are in the we are in a matrix uh, we're all plugged in we are all um currently batteries uh, for the robot um, slaves and the fact that um, elon musk believes it or something along the like those lines you just yeah, I, I like the idea of fiction feeding its own. Um, There's also old debate. Well. I do. I do actually have one. There's Rocco's Basilisk, which is basically the idea of 
so um the idea it's the idea is that there's going to be a singularity and at some point of time like there's going to be a godlike ai and essentially everybody who did not help uh, in the creation of that ai is going to be punished and that's the thing that's definitely going to happen because of all these statistical things about the singularity and about the godlike ai so like anybody who knows about the, the about rocco's basilisk and then doesn't uh, do their damnedest to make this ai come into being is going to be punished by the ai is like a whole thing that's amazing and that's the with all that's of these the things are no 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 that like that that like the idea of the singularity and the you know is is definitely going to be playing into the series at some point i'll send um, you, i'll send you a book about that i'll i'll send you a book that you might enjoy all right that yeah, it's, it's, it's basically it. it's basically about neo reaction and um you know all these rationalist kind of people uh, it's about them written by an uh, alan moore fan who also is a chaos magician and worships william blake's uh, pantheon that's great so it's Whoa. somebody yes. Yes, somebody please. from that area kind of writing about that area it's it's please, very interesting please send that to me uh, yes know. please <laughs> you know where i am yeah i'm up for that um chaps it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you um again uh to anyone who tuned in and was like expecting martin i think we can explain and have said have said why he couldn't join us congratulations to him and uh to nat uh, on the, the arrival of, of his baby boy um james and aditya congratulations on your arrival on your big um delivery uh, which will be arriving on wednesday uh, I can't wait for everyone to read this book because uh, from what I've seen, I personally am doing my best to will into reality various <laughs> awards and Eisners, which I feel are fully deserving for this book uh, because it is truly something special. The Department of Truth comes out on Wednesday from Image Comics. Go out and buy it. James, Aditya, thank you so much indeed for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks thank for you. having me.